Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones, it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the frustrating process of trying to pay your health insurance premiums, the boundaryless world of augmented reality, and planning your day without using electronics. Payments, Pokemon, and planning. Oh my. Just because you have required elements of your business doesn't mean they need to be boring. It's time to get creative, have some fun, and make people sit up and take notice. Get your customers talking when you make the required remarkable. Okay, Dan, I know that we do our best to only discuss positive customer experiences here on the Experience This Show, but I had a doozy of an experience recently that offered so many opportunities for improvement that I wanted to share it with our listeners. Well, we know that the bad experiences can often provide us with the most important takeaways on how not to do things. But this one sounds like it could have been pretty bad. It was pretty bad for sure. All right. Allow me to set the stage. I do my best to set up all of my monthly subscriptions on auto bill so that I, one, always make sure to pay my bills on time, and two, so that I don't need to think about it. If I'm going to be subscribed to something and a bill's going to be coming every month, I like to just set up auto bill plus auto pay equals auto Joey doesn't have to think about it. I love how organized you are, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, I mean, look, it's convenient for you as the customer, and it's convenient for the business because, hey, they know that their money's coming, and, uh, and it's coming consistently. Yeah, right? I mean, this should be a win-win for everyone. But let me explain how this particular business tried to make it lose-lose for everyone involved. Now, I wanted to set up auto billing and auto payment to a credit card for my monthly health insurance premium payment. Okay, okay, okay. let me stop you right there. (laughs) So having worked in this industry, you just said the two words that are associated with perhaps some of the worst experiences at least in the United States, that a customer can have. And those two words are the dreaded health insurance. Oh, it's so true. It's like it strikes fear in the hearts and minds of young children everywhere. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. And did they ever live up to that terrible reputation? I'm not going to say the name of the insurance company, basically because Dan made me not say it before we started recording because I wanted to light these people up. But I imagine this story might apply to several insurance companies. And if my provider happens to be listening in, hopefully they'll make some improvements. So at the end of last year, I needed to get new insurance because my existing carrier quit providing coverage in the state where I live. So I found a new provider online, I applied, and ta-da, was approved for coverage. I then started getting bills, which I would pay as they came in. 
but I struggled to find the functionality to set up auto payments. Now, after many months of this, I received yet another paper invoice and thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going to solve this problem today. I'm going to set up auto payment and I'm going to save some trees in the process. I love that you're both efficient and environmental and clearly a man on a mission. But what strikes me here is that this really shouldn't be your problem. (laughs) It really shouldn't. And this isn't rocket science. Uh, At the risk of breaking the fourth wall, we're in 2020, people. We are in 2020 right now. Setting something up to auto bill to a credit card and have that payment run every month should be, I don't know, the anti-up chips for any business that seeks regular payment from its customers. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. But But I digress. So I went to the website that was referenced on my paper bill to, quote, pay online. But for some reason, I couldn't access the website using my saved username and password. Now, that never happens. Yeah, because that never happens. But this was a little bit strange, Dan, because I was 100% sure that I had set up a username and password on the website before to fill out some paperwork for a doctor's visit that I had. So I know I had done this before. You know, I have to tell you, remembering passwords is my single biggest pet peeve. And I know a lot of people, you've you've spent a lot of time in the security world. Passwords tend to be relatively useless anyway. And yet <laughs> and yet they they just keep getting more and more complicated. And I mean I'll tell you without without giving up any of my passwords, you know, there's a certain digit that I end that I add to the end of mine. Uh, and then when they make me reset it or I forget it, I just add another one of those digits. And then it's it's password five, ladies and gentlemen. That stands password. Password five. And After so, the Jackson five. So I can always gauge how annoyed I am with the company by how many times I have to hit this how many digit. Times you have to change the number. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So here's the thing. Most passwords total facade. It's like security at the airport. It is designed to make you feel better, but it's really not making you any safer. But for some reason, I went to this website and I couldn't get in. And I tried and I was like, no, I know I have the password and I had it actually saved and I knew what it was. And so when you can't do something online, what do you do? You call the phone number, which I did. And I was immediately placed into IVR hell. Oh boy, IVR, the old interactive voice response system. Folks, you know the one. Press seven if you're still listening and can't believe we haven't given you a relevant option yet. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I kept saying, representative, representative, operator, human, human, and pressing buttons until I finally got to actually speak to a human being. Quick question. Did you did you push zero really hard though? Because oh, multiple yeah, yeah, times. You know, I, I want the I want to figure out a way. You know, I know they do sentiment analysis on voices within IVR system to hear like if the customer's getting worked up, they can route you to a more senior person. I want them to figure out how to connect the haptics of my phone to the call center so that when I'm jamming my finger on the zero and screaming "human, human operator," that they know I'm about to put my thumb through my phone and they get me to somebody who can help faster. But that's what I would like to have happen. And I would like to say that when I got on the phone with a human, 
everything got set up and was easy peasy. But instead, the representative explained, now hold on to your seats, folks, that they actually have two different websites, one ending in .org and the other one ending in, uh, yeah, .org as well. The first .org website is where you go to see your doctor's appointments, to te- get test results, to schedule visits, etc. And the second .org website is where you go to pay your bill. They are two entirely different websites. So wait, they have a separate website for paying the bill that you can't access from the main website where you have all of your other online interactions with them? Exactly. 100%, Dan, you got it. Okay. I had to create an entirely new username because it, as it turns out, for some reason, you can't have the same username and an entirely new password. Because again, for some reason, you can't use the same password. So I had to have two separate usernames and two separate passwords for the same relationship with the insurance company. And after trying to give them money for over an hour, between my own troubleshooting and waiting to speak to a live person that could actually explain what was going on, I was finally able to set up my monthly bill so that it would auto-pay. Well, Joey, on behalf of uh, health insurance providers everywhere, (laughs) I'd like to apologize for your poor experience. I need therapy at this point for this. This is ridiculous. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's a bunch of things that obviously are going wrong here. And I've been trying to think, as you've been telling this story, why in the world they would have a separate site. And most answers in the healthcare industry are unsatisfactory from a CX perspective. (laughs) And from a customer's perspective, it's literally, I don't care, right? So my guess is there was some compliance reason that they did it so that they kept credit cards away from, you know, health information, or they just outsourced it to somebody else. And they said, well, we'll do this because it's cheaper and faster for us, even if it's not cheaper or faster for the customer. Yeah. And and to me, Dan, I feel like the default is they actually didn't care. Because as a recovering attorney, and I'll be the first to admit, I am not intimately familiar with all the particulars of HIPAA and the various compliance laws that health insurance companies are under. But for the life of me, in all of my experiences, I have never come across an organization that requires two separate usernames and two separate passwords to access the same company and pushes you through one website for every interaction except paying your bill. And then they push you through a different site. It makes no sense. Yeah. And I mean, probably, Joey, this was from the days when people paid their health insurance by writing a check and sticking it in the mail. And that's probably the extent of the maturity of their payment processing systems. And so now that people want to pay online, the answer internally is, well, how do we do this quickly and cheaply? I mean, this is just an inconvenience for us. And yet it isn't because when people pay online, they pay more quickly, they pay on time, they pay more accurately, there's less processing. It's actually, yeah, you you have to pay a fee as a company, you generally for the transaction, but all in all, it's going to end up a lot cheaper for the company. And to be perfectly honest, Joey, even if it wasn't, I still believe it's incumbent upon the company to provide a payment experience that is simple. And I want to bring this to today because we're seeing payments. I've also spent a lot of time in the payments industry. And we're seeing payments come back 
into the the national storyline again because people now are looking for touchless payments. And this used to be a thing that eh, sometimes they offered it, sometimes they didn't. I, I, I've never been a huge uh, Apple Pay or Google Pay user because I'm not even sure which stores take it and which stores don't and so what have you. And now all of a sudden, everybody wants it. And, and so many more places are offering. And I think you make a good point about that you're just trying to give them money. And a quick story when, uh, very quick, is when I worked at Discover, as you may know, not every merchant in the US takes Discover either. And when I got to talk to some of the merchants, I would ask them, why do you want to not accept a method of payment from your customer? I mean, if they want to pay you in, I don't know, Anything other than a wagon full of wheat. Right. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. You know, but any type of convertible, quote unquote, usable currency, whether it's a credit card, whether it's cash, you know, come on, friends. It's not that hard. And especially when it's credit card, because I presume the folks you were talking to took other credit cards. Yeah. They just didn't take Discover. But again, their reasoning might have been, oh, well, you know, Discover costs me a one hundredth of one percent higher per transaction in terms of a fee. It's like, you know what? Your customer doesn't care. They just want to use their card. And you're telling them no. And you think that doesn't have an impact on their experience, but it absolutely does. Absolutely. And here's the crazy thing. If it is difficult to pay you, what other aspects of this relationship am I not going to enjoy? If the act of me giving you money is going to cause me stress and a headache. What's going to happen when you actually have to deliver on the service? What what state do you think I'm going to be in? What do you think my pre-framed expectations are going to be? It's a hot mess. I'll now, give you end- one more though, Joey. If it's hard to pay you, I'm going to go find somebody who's easy to pay. Oh, it's funny you should say that, Dan, because I spent today in anticipation of recording our segment trying to find a new insurance company because I'm done. Like I'm done. And I haven't had any negative experiences with them in terms of the care, but I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm like, if it's this hard to pay you, what's it going to be like when I actually need you to cover a claim? What's it going to be like when I need you to go to bat for me? So at the end of the day, here's the thing. This segment is a required remarkable story. And while our stories usually talk about interactions that are worthy of making a remark about, We don't often talk about the negative remarks, but I wanted to break from our tradition this time to point out that your most commonly occurring activities, scheduling appointments, communicating with customers, taking payments, should be the easiest, most convenient, most efficient elements of your brand experience. And if your required interactions aren't designed to maximize the customer experience, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to create a touch point worth talking about. And frankly, you're going to be missing out on a lot more in the not too distant future because you're not going to be in business anymore. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Dan, have you or your kids ever played Pokemon Go? 
Okay. Well, first of all, I'm insulted by the fact that you think I played this. No. <laughs> hey, you know, it takes all different kinds. I know you're a real tech guy. You're aware of the socials. You're on the Twitters and you're doing your thing. And I thought, you know, you you pay attention to trends in technology. I thought you might have given it a dabble. Yeah. No Pokemon Go for me. Uh, my son collected the cards for a while, but for whatever reason, neither of them uh, got into the Go thing. Gotcha. Well, I haven't either, but to be honest, that doesn't mean that I'm not interested in augmented reality, or AR as people often call it. To be honest, that's why I was intrigued by an article that I came across recently titled, The AR That Ate Disney World. Now, the article was on the Museum Next website. That's museumnext.com for those of you that aren't regularly cruising the Museum Next website for breaking CX news. Uh, but it was written by a former office mate and friend of mine, Josh Goldblum. Josh is the founding principal of Emmy award-winning interactive design studio, Blue Cadet Interactive. And in the article, Josh relates an interesting scenario that played out when he took his son to Disney World for the first time earlier this year, pre-COVID. He sets the scene as follows, and I quote, As the two of us stood in line at Haunted Mansion, me trying to introduce my son to the happiest place on earth, and him getting increasingly restless, I finally gave up my phone and let him play a game. Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go is a massive AR scavenger hunt game that allows players to compete and collect location-specific Pokemon. Here we are in the heart of the Disney empire, and to my surprise, it had been fully and aggressively populated with Pokemon Go Pokestops and gyms. Even in the very heart of Disney's Magic Kingdom, Pokemon has staked its claim. There stands a statue of Walt Disney holding hands with Mickey, Cinderella's castle towering in the background. To say it's a popular place to take a family picture or a selfie would be a massive understatement. It's also a Pokestop. While tourists queued to take pictures, my son eagerly challenged other Pokemon trainers and collected rare Pokemon. He was ecstatic by what he was seeing, and it seemed to have much more to do with Pokemon brand IP than the famed IP of Disney Corporation. So I feel like we have to explain a little bit of this here because, man, my head is spinning already. Uh, first of all, I was actually thinking about a story you told previously about Universal Studios and how good they are with the lines and how much uh, how it was really interesting to stand in line. Yeah, and they, now here's they the, keep you engaged while yeah, you wait. Right, and here's the opposite. And so uh, I think that was immediately disappointing. But this Pokemon game, from what I understand, and what we're talking about augmented reality, what's happening here is is people are using their phones and they use the camera part of their phone to sort of show where they are. And then things pop onto the screen that are not actually in the world. That's why it's augmented reality. Things pop up onto the screen sort of on top of the camera video. And exactly. So you feel like you're looking through the phone at the world and you know what the world is behind the phone because you can see kind of around the phone and see it there. But what you're seeing on the phone includes other images, other characters, other items that aren't there in the real world, but they're in the augmented reality that you can see through your phone. 
Right. And for this particular game, if you find the rare Pokemon or whatever it is, you, you, you get, get points, points, you right. collect things. Yeah, yeah. So the fascinating thing here, and I, I'm guessing this is why some of why you're sharing this story, is that Pokemon is not a Disney brand. <laughs> no, and, it is uh, not. <laughs> and Disney is uh, famously very protective of its brand. And yet here is uh, this gentleman and his son in line at a Disney park and then walking around the Disney park playing Pokemon. And I, I got to imagine the Disney folks are not real excited about that because they want everything. They want to control every facet of the experience. And obviously they want it to be their branding. So I'm kind of interested to hear what na- hear what happened next. Well, you're, you're spot on, Dan, because I think like most businesses, there is a presumption that when you come to their property or their place of business or their office or their restaurant or their, you know, store, whatever it may be, that you're only going to experience things that they have put there and that are in the real world and that they are going to be able to architect and design and dare I say, control the type of interactions you have. And yet, despite the fact that Disney has big fences around the property, they have to buy a ticket to get in. Guess what? The Pokemon characters come in. Now, as Josh notes in this article, the best AR puts new lenses on the world around us, adding new interpretations. He goes on to share how, quote, the Urban Archive app sends New Yorkers push notifications when they are near the sites of historic photos from the New York Public Library's archives. The Slavery at Monticello app features location-specific content that adds to the experience of exploring Thomas Jefferson's home. And the folks at No Ad took an almost adversarial approach using AR to replace billboards with art for an experiment in real-life ad blocking. These applications of AR rewrite the world around us without boundaries or restrictions, end quote. And I'll give you an example uh, related to the business world that I thought was really cool. And this was actually before AR became a a thing in the United States. So I uh, happened to be traveling in Japan and I was in Tokyo and there is a famous shopping district called Ginza. I don't know if you've been there or not. Oh yeah. Ginza is fantastic. I actually took a fun, fun fact. I took a picture, a selfie in front of a gigantic door that had a big G on it, which of course in my mind stood for Genghis, not Ginza. But (laughs) I digress. Anyway, and what, what this company had built was an AR app that as you're walking down the street of Ginza and you see all the stores on your left and right, that offers from those stores started popping up onto your screen because the screen knew that you were right next to the the coach or the whatever whatever store it was. Uh, and these offers would start popping up as you walked down the street, which I thought was really fascinating. So there's definitely business applications for this, but it is a little bit intrusive. It's a little bit, you know, I would say you, you called me a technology person before. I, I would say this is really the early adopters right now that are using this for any business perspective. The gamesmanship part is is kind of fun. I mean, the Pokemon Go thing had its uh, fifteen minutes in of fame in the you know in the world, and it was a lot of fun. But I, I'm curious to know whether this technology ends up having applications that are more widespread going forward. 
Well, I think what's interesting, Dan, and I agree with you, we are very much in the early stages. And it's why, you know, I wanted to at least flag this in a segment on our podcast because we we really haven't talked about augmented reality before that I'm recalling, or certainly not in depth. And well, wait a minute. Do you do you want to ask oh, geez, the episode Rain Man like, whether we have? Rain Man, have we talked about augmented reality before at any point in the last six seasons? Actually, oh, sweet nectar of the gods. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Gingas, he is the librarian of our history. Actually, I don't remember the episode we recorded yesterday. Dan's (laughs) going to tell us about one we recorded years ago. Well, it was years ago. It was season one, episode 31. We we did a What Are You Reading segment on Ready Player One. Oh, yes. Fantastic book. Segway, Ready Player Two is coming out uh, soon. A sequel to the fabulous book, Ready Player One. Fantastic, fantastic. But anyway, we digress. So here's the thing. You're right, Dan. We are at the very edge. Most businesses aren't even familiar with the concept of augmented reality, let alone doing anything to incorporate it into their experience. But here's why I wanted to flag it now. The possibilities for incorporating augmented reality into your brand and into your brand location are truly limitless. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what's possible. Now, imagine Nike creating an impact for you with their experience in the stores. But then take it one step further and imagine what would happen if Nike added in a digital cheering crowd in the bleachers where you run at your local track in the morning before work, right? Is there a monument in your town that you don't like for whatever reason? Well, imagine being able to tell the rest of the story or your version of the story in augmented reality while you're waiting for the local government to make a decision about whether or not to remove the monument. Now, as Josh notes in the article, quote, in my own city of Philadelphia, we only have two monuments to women in the entire city. Solving that disparity will take a generation. And in the meantime, AR could memorialize and tell the stories of the women who should be commemorated with permanent monuments. So we can actually start to think about taking our brand experiences and pushing the envelope well beyond the scope of the real estate we own and the experiences we can control. Well, I think that's the neatest part about this story is that basically the folks at Pokemon Go have invaded enemy territory, right? And have been able to bring their brand into an area that, as we said, is is famously closed off or, or at least is famously meticulously monitored. And, uh, and they're able, not in the real world, but in the augmented world, to uh, invade into Disney and, and bring their brand with them. Absolutely. Well, I'll conclude this segment by giving Josh Goldblum of Blue Cadet Interactive the last word. He wraps up this CX Press article, The AR That Ate Disney World, with this hope. The full power of AR will come when users can create and contribute their own content and worlds. We aren't fully there yet, but already these tools are slipping into wider use. I look forward to a not-too-distant future where everyone has the opportunity, at least digitally, to design the world around them where access to a range of AR tools will allow us so many new ways of seeing. All right, give me 60 seconds on the clock, Dan. Wait, what? 
60 seconds, 60 seconds. Okay, but what are you going to do with him? Okay, it's not what I'm going to do with it, Dan. It's what our celebrity contestants are going to do when they have just 60 seconds to answer a series of questions. In the final game, we'll play on our new game show, Experience Points, presented by our friends at Avtex, who transform customer experience through CX design and orchestration. In Think Fast, we ask five experience questions. Each question has two possible answers. Contestants need to think fast and answer fast because they have just 60 seconds to complete the game. Correct answers given before time runs out are worth 100 points. If they correctly answer all five questions, the contestant earns a bonus of 500 points for a total possible score of 1,000 points, which would mean a $1,000 donation to the charity of their choosing. All right, let's show them how this works, Joey. All right, good idea, Dan. I'm going to ask you three quick questions from an upcoming episode of Experience Points. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. On your marks, get set, go. What percentage of consumers have received a text message from a business? 54% or 84%? Uh, 84%. Which group checks their phone the most within an hour? 30 to 44-year-olds or 45 to 60-year-olds? I'm going against the grain and saying 45 to 60. I love it. And what percentage of consumers respond to text messages in less than 10 minutes? 50% or 78%? 78%. Whew, that was fast. All right, Nicely tell me, done. how'd I do? How'd I do? Well, alas, Dan, we don't have any more time on the clock. So people are going to need to tune in to Experience Points to learn more. See you there soon. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Dan, are you a Kickstarter guy? Well, a Kickstarter guy, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've backed a couple of projects on Kickstarter, but I, I'm not on there very often, I would say. All righty. Well, I'll make a little true confession here. I may have an addiction to Kickstarter. I support, or in the language of Kickstarter, back a lot of projects there. In fact, I was looking at it earlier, and to date, I have supported or backed over 110 projects on the platform. Wow, that does sound like an addiction. Do they have a support group for that? <laughs> if they do, I, I need to join and I'm not uh, a member yet, but maybe I should be. What can I say? I think it's a really fascinating platform. All right. Well, some of our listeners may not be familiar with it. So maybe you can give us a starter description on Kickstarter. Okay. So here's the idea behind Kickstarter. It starts with a project creator, somebody who has an idea of something they'd like to see in the world. They make a little video explaining what they want to create. They tell the story of why they think it would be useful. They sell you on the idea of you need this product or this thing they're going to create too. And then they set up some pledge support levels, which are basically different levels that, you know, for a dollar, you can just be that you're a supporter and a fan. And they go up to where maybe for like a thousand dollars, you can get the original artwork that they're going to create or something like that. And then they also list out some risk and challenges and their likelihood of being able to successfully complete the project. Now, the platform features everything from games to films to music to technology inventions to comic books. Basically, if you're a creator and you can present a solid story 
you can get people to back your idea by pledging money in advance of your product being completed. And you then use those funds, minus a fee to Kickstarter, of course, to fulfill the pledges and deliver your product to these loyal patrons who have agreed to be first movers or first supporters of your new brand. You know, I really like this in concept, even though I don't do it as often as you do. Because first of all, from a customer experience perspective, you're really measuring the audience before you invest heavily into the product or service. And I mean, let's face it, you go on Kickstarter and nobody's interested. That's a pretty good indicator that maybe you should go find something else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And maybe you've spent, you know, an hour to write up your description and shot a little video on your phone and you know, all right, well, my great idea. Yeah, my mom might buy one and maybe my roommate, but that's about it. It's not going to have the traction in the marketplace. Exactly. Exactly. But if you get it right, it can go bonkers. And there was something that I found on Kickstarter recently, and I wanted to tell you about the product because I think you'll be interested to hear about the product. I think our listeners will be interested to hear about our product and also about the success that this creator was able to have on the Kickstarter platform. Well, Joey, if you are a backer, I'm all ears. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Dan. I'm not exactly sure if this is going to be your kind of thing, which will uh, reveal itself here momentarily, but bear with me. Okay. This product is called Analog, and it bills itself as the simplest productivity system. It's designed by Jeff Sheldon. Now, Jeff is best known for starting a company called Ugmunk. Ugmunk's a design studio in Downington, Pennsylvania, that creates and curates products that combine form and function. From simple, minimal, well-made t-shirts to desk organizers, Ugmunk is a lot like buying from your neighborhood corner store. And as it says on their website, quote, not only are you supporting our family, but you're also supporting other extraordinarily hardworking small businesses. With all that said, if I'm lucky enough to call you a customer, great, but if for whatever reason you don't see anything that catches your eye, please walk away with this. I encourage you to leave the world better than you found it by thoughtfully choosing quality over quantity, less over more, lasting over trending, and profound over popular. Well, well, we'll find out whether I like this guy's product, but I can tell you I already like the guy. I mean, he the seems guy's like great. A the guy's guy. great. Yeah, he's got he's got great copywriting, and he clearly is speaking to a very specific audience. Now, I actually came to know about. Jeff and Ugmunk and Analog years ago when I tagged along to a meeting that my good friend and a friend of the experience of this show, Clay Bear, was having with Analog's creator. So Jeff was using a prototype of the Analog product, and I was enamored from the start. Now, this is going to sound crazy, folks, okay? Analog is a physical companion for your digital tools. What that means is it helps you prioritize and focus on your most important task. So think of it as a daily to-do list that is captured on paper instead of in your phone or computer. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm with you so far. (laughs) I mean... I, I have like post-it notes all over the place and, you know, it's very difficult to keep organized and uh, even with phones and stuff like that. So I, I get it. 
Tell yeah, me more. And, and, and I too have post-it notes all over. And let's be candid. When you pick up your phone, let's say you have a to-do list app on your phone. There's probably a billion entries and you have to learn how to use the app. And then you have to remember when you do something to go on the app. And I don't know about you. I have a certain excitement about writing down what the things I'm going to be focusing on that day and then crossing them off at the end of the day. And it sounds crazy, but the psychologists will say that there's a reason that we like to do that. And what Jeff has done with analog is he's taken this necessary element of keeping track of the things that are in our minds in a cacophonous world where we just have tons of things coming at us all the time and has produced a beautiful solution. It's gorgeously designed. There are three cards. There are today cards, there are next cards, and someday cards. So you can kind of bucket the items on your to-do list. You get a fresh start every day because you start with a new card. It's tangible and physical. It's not sitting around in zeros and ones and bits and bots on the internet. It's something that you can actually hold in your hand. And the way he's designed it is there's a desk holder where you can kind of prop up the card on your desk right next to your computer. So it's physically in front of you, or you can keep it with an arm's reach. There's like a little travel holder where you can carry along like a little stack of what are basically beautifully designed index cards to record what your various tasks and to-do items are. Well, Joey, I'm a simple man. I actually like the aspect of the non-digital, and I have found for a long time that I'm much better off keeping a to-do list on a piece of paper uh, with a pencil, I still like writing in pencil. There is something about writing it down that somehow keeps it in my memory. I agree with you on the idea of crossing it off. I've never thought of this, however, as having to be a beautiful work of art or an you know an experience more than a pad of paper. So it's it's interesting. I think conceptually, I'm definitely with you. I've looked at some of the pictures and and we'll include them in our show notes that it is it is beautiful. So if you know if you want something beautiful on your desk to help you uh keep track of your day, I think this definitely fits the bill. Well, I appreciate that. And I think what it speaks to is this combination of form and function. And I think so often when people are developing products, there were there were kind of two pieces of this story I wanted to tell. Number one, when people are thinking about products, as a general rule, they have a tendency to over-index on either form or function. Now, based on what you just said, Dan, you kind of are a guy that skews a little more towards function. You'd be just as happy with a post-it note or a spiral notebook or somewhere you can write it down, whereas I might be a guy who skews a little bit more towards form than function, where if it looks pretty, I'm going to be more excited about it. This is why, interestingly enough, I use a Mac laptop, you use a PC laptop, okay? It's not a commentary on Mac or PC, it's that aesthetics react differently. And what I think is interesting is in our modern world, you can carve out a niche or a niche, or a niche, depending on how you pronounce it, of customers that skew your way, either form or function. And in an increasingly digital world, people are craving these analog experiences. And I have to believe in a world where we're doing more and more Zoom calls and more and more conference calls, and we're not having as many interactions outside the home with beautiful things and beautiful products that having something that you can hold in your hand is going to change the conversation. And here's the interesting thing. I'm not the only one who thought this. 
So when Jeff started the Kickstarter project, he hoped to raise $6,000. When the project was done, he had raised over $451,000 from over 5,000 backers. It's not just Joey that liked the analog solution. Well, that's pretty impressive. I mean, $451,000, I'm not all that good at math, but it's a lot more than $6,000, is not it? Yeah. And in these, by the way, are pre-orders. He's now able to go to the printer and print exactly how many he needs at the price points he needs, having factored in the delivery cost and mechanisms. And he knows that his product launch is going to be successful and profitable from day one. And most businesses don't have that level of confidence when they roll a new product into the marketplace. Absolutely. And that's what I was saying before that I think it's such a cool idea that you can kind of pre-test with the market. And obviously, this guy knows that he's onto something. So I hope you'll come back and uh, tell us about it once the item arrives. I definitely will, Dan. But here's something that I already know. And this takes us back to an earlier episode we had this season where we talked about the Kenneth Cole luggage. And in fact, it was the last episode, the one just preceding this one. When you find a brand that you love, that consistently delivers remarkable results and experiences. When that brand comes out with a new product or a new service offering, you want it. You buy it. You trust that the experience will continue to be remarkable, which is what I'm expecting from the fine folks at Ugmunk with their new product, Analog. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. This.